you do me a favor? Would you take out your Bibles um, and turn to Acts chapter 10? If you don't have a Bible and uh, you would like a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can turn to page 918 there. That's our gift to you for those who don't have a Bible. We're gonna continue our series in the book of Acts. How many of you have been enjoying our Acts series by show of applause? Yes, sure. Sometimes I wonder whether or not you guys actually mean that. Um, but I trust you. I trust that you, you mean that. Um, I, I, I'm, I love this passage. We're going to focus on the, the first eight verses. I'm going to give you a quick recap of, of what's going on, right? We just had a beautiful Easter service, right? Like, all right, side note. All right, we're going to do a tangent. It's fine. It's okay. You guys give me an hour to preach, so I can do that. Um, I like... I don't know about you, but this past Sunday, like, I felt like we needed that. Does that make sense? Like, like more, I mean, yes, we're celebrating Easter and the resurrection, but I think our church family here, we just needed a day where we can just lift up the name of Jesus, have a full room, feel joy and happiness, right? Like, was, am I the only one who was just, like, pumped up? I was like, all right, like... We had baptisms, and it was just a beautiful service. Uh, I, I loved it. I hope you guys were blessed. Um, so, so where are we at? We're in Acts chapter 10, and here, here's the, the crux of, of Acts, right? The Spirit of God is doing a work in his church. He's building his church, right? So when we read the book of Acts, there's a lot of characters. We'll, say, we'll see Peter, we'll see Paul, Stephen, Philip we've talked about, right? Like, we'll see characters do awesome things for God, but, but the main character, the primary purpose of the book of Acts is to show off the main character, and that's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, where we're tempted to look at the book of Acts and say, man, Peter did a fantastic job. Paul did an awesome job preaching. When we're tempted to say that, we should be actually encouraged to remember it's not them who did it. It's the spirit of the living God who did it. So the main character of the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 1 all the way to the last verse in chapter 28, yes, chapter 28, like it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's doing a work. He's the one that's empowered the people, right? So when we look at Peter, when we look at Paul and Stephen, and when we look at Philip, like he, the Holy Spirit, has empowered them. He has filled them, meaning that he has taken complete, complete control of them that allows them to, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. So the book of Acts, summation of the last 10 chapters is the Spirit of God is on, in the move, and he's moving in the life of people. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 10 how he moves in a new group of people. And this is awesome. This is powerful for us to understand because remember the... The context of the book of Acts, the gospel has been presented to the Jews. They have rejected it. A small number of them have received it. A couple of thousand, maybe five, ten, but it's spreading. And in this moment, we're going to see God break out in a whole new group of people, and particularly a person, right? So with last week, when we talked about Easter, we preached about a new life, this new life that, that God gives us, this new life that we have because of the resurrection. We're going to see this new life now in a person, in a family, in a group of people. 
So we read first eight verses, Acts chapter 10, page 918 in your Bibles. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in the vision, in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tenor. Imagine like trying to figure out all these names. Like two people are the same name. It's like, go get Simon. And then he's staying with the other guy named Simon. Like, which one? Right? Um, Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. I mean, talk about a pad, huh? Um, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, having related everything to them, to send them to Joppa. Now, now I look at this passage, and, and to be honest with you, when I read this, I was like, I was flabbergasted in, in one sense. I was like, this, this is an awesome person, right? Like, in, so, in one sense, I look at this and I say to myself, man, like, Cornelius is a really good guy. Think about it. He's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. Meaning that he oversaw at least 100 men. He was in charge of 100 men. And you see how the Bible describes him. And, and you think to yourself, man, like, I want to be like him. Then the other feeling came. Right? It was like, oh no, like, I'm not that man. I can't be that man. Like, it's mind boggling that this is how the Bible describes him. And then I started to think, like, what is the author of Luke, the author of Acts, Luke, trying to communicate? Like, what do you think Luke is showing us? What do you think the Spirit of God, who's inspired this word, these are the words of God, what do you think he's trying to communicate to the people who would read this? What do, you, what do you think Luke is trying to communicate to us who would read this? And, and though he seems like a cool dude, right? You look at him and you're like, this is a man, right? Like, and, and let's look how the Bible describes him. The, the Bible describes him in five ways, right? The, the Bible says um, they describe Cornelius as a trusted leader, right? He's a trusted leader. He, he was in charge of 100 men. Right? That's, that's an honorable task. He's a devout man. That's what the verse says. A devout man who, who feared God. Not only was he a devout man, he was a good leader in his home, right? Like, this is, not only is he a good man in his career, he's a good man at home that the Bible says all of his household feared God. I mean... If this is an example of a real man, like it's Cornelius, right? Really good at his job. He's not lazy. He goes to work. He loves God. His family serves God. He's a good leader in his home. He's a generous man. He ain't cheap. Imagine that. Some of you wives are looking at your husband. You could take note, right? Like, 
Like, he is a generous man, and he gives alms. What that means in the New Testament is that he used to give to the poor. And what else does the Bible describe? I mean, a man of prayer. Wow. You, you look at verse 1, and you say to yourself, man, this is a trusted leader of the Roman government, commander of 100 men, the backbone of the Roman Empire. He's part of a, an Italian cohort, meaning that he probably started out in Rome or Italy and now is stationed in Judea. So he leaves, his family's with him. He's honorable to his duty. And then you look at verse 2. It says he's a devout man who feared God. He loved Yahweh. And the inward faith that he had, the things that we would say are good, were expressed in his, his generosity to people, people in need. And he prayed. Now you look at this, right? And you say to yourself, this is a good God. But I want you to notice something. Notice that the Bible says that he isn't a Christian. Did you pick that up? Right, like, doesn't say that he was a follower of Jesus. It doesn't say that he believed in Jesus, right? So on the onset, you read these first eight verses and you're like, this is a great guy, but he's not a Christian. He's not a believer. Then you think to yourself, man, like, I know people like that, right? Don't you know people in your life? I know people in my life that like look like Christians, behave like Christians. I mean, they're generous with their time and their energy. They give a lot of money to good charities and organizations and communities, and yet they don't believe. What we see in this passage is that Cornelius isn't a Christian. I think we look at this and say, wait a minute, we want to be like Cornelius. And I say, sure, there are things about Cornelius that we ought to, to reflect. But remember, Cornelius is not a believer. And I think what the Bible is trying to teach us in this small little passage is, right, that, that as good as we look at Cornelius, as awesome as we look at his works, good works and good people don't get saved for their good works. Did you hear what I said? Like, when we look at this passage, we might be tempted to think, man, he's a good guy, so he must be saved. No, that, that's not true. And I think that's true for us this morning, right? Like, sometimes we're often tempted to believe that somehow that our good works and our good deeds and our good character is what saves us. I want to give you a spoiler alert. When you read the end of chapter 10, here's what happens. We're going to go back in a couple of weeks. We'll go back to Peter's vision. But here's what happens. Peter has a vision. And after he has his vision, he finds that these soldiers that went to go get him are asking him to come back because someone, a centurion, Cornelius, wants to meet him. So what happens? Peter has to come back. He comes back to where Cornelius is. And he has to preach the gospel. And guess what happens? Cornelius and his family are saved. 
So that's a spoiler alert, right? Like Cornelius and his family are saved, but, but what we see in the first eight verses is that he isn't saved. And I think that's important for us to remember. I think it's important for us to realize that what saves us are not our good deeds. Right? And then sometimes we often think with our children and our family members, like they're good kids and you, they might be saved. No, that's not how it works. Just because you're a good person doesn't save you. We know what saves us. It's, it's grace alone that saves us. Right? Like God saves us despite how good we are. Like God saves us in spite of our goodness. In fact, God saves us from our goodness, right? Isn't that a beautiful hope that we have? That like, you don't have to worry about anything. Your good works and merits are not going to save you. It is a good God who saves you. Despite what you do. There are many people in our culture, there are many religions in the world that would tell you, good works and good deeds save you. Let me tell you something. I don't want to be saved by my good works. I don't do good works. And the good works that I do oftentimes are for my glory and my exhortation. And just because it's a good thing to do. But when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the good works that we do is not what saves us. But the good works that we do point us to the person who is good. Amen. And I think... I think that's what we see in Cornelius, right? I think that we need to be reminded of that. I think parents need to be reminded of that, that, that when you look at your child and say, he's a good kid, she's a good kid, let me tell you something, that ain't gonna get them in. It's gonna keep them out. Think about that. When we believe that our good works, our good deeds, our good actions, our good character is what saves us, is gonna keep us out. And that's the truth for our culture. Many of our people in our culture will often keep them from having a right relationship with God. Think about this. What often keeps our people, what often keeps us from having a good relationship with God, a right standing before God, coming to God and saying, I need you and I need you now, is oftentimes we come with our good works, we come with our good deeds and character and say, well, save me with my stuff. Remember the young rich ruler? The young rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Jesus says, follow the law. What does the young rich ruler say? Oh, I've done that. I follow the law. Oh, okay. Jesus says then, give up your possessions and come follow me. What does the young rich ruler do? He goes back. The Bible says he goes back in sorrow because he had many possessions. That's what often keeps us from having a relationship with God. We come, with, we come to him with all our good deeds and our good works and say, accept me now. When oftentimes what Jesus is trying to communicate to us, what he's trying to do is, I want to save you from your goodness so that I can give you my goodness. I will impute my righteousness on you so that you can be right before God and you can tell the world that I am the good God who saved you, not your good works. We look at Cornelius and say, he's a good guy. But notice what happens to him at the end of chapter 10. This good guy that we all look at gets saved by a good God. 
So there's three points that I think is for, important for us to realize. What we see in the first eight verses. The first one is that God initiates salvation to Cornelius and the Gentile world, right? So here's what's going to happen. Peter's going to come. He's going to communicate the gospel. In fact, he actually talks about the resurrection. If you read 36 to 43, he's going to communicate the gospel. He's going to say, listen, this is the man that God anointed to be the son of God who died on the cross for our sins that the prophets prophesied in the Old Testament. And he is risen. He is alive. And he has commissioned us to proclaim the good news to the entire earth. And what happens in response? What does Cornelius do? The Bible says Cornelius and his household were saved. Here's the important point. God initiated that salvation. It wasn't Cornelius' good works that made him right. It was God who initiated that salvation. How does God initiate that salvation? Well, he did it on the cross, right? That's how God initiated salvation for us. He did it on the cross first. He bore the wrath of the Father and took our sins and died for our sins so that you and I can have life. And the Bible says we can have it abundantly. Romans 6 says we can walk now in the newness of life. That's how God initiated salvation. The second way God initiated salvation to Cornelius is by coming to him through an angel to go get Peter. I want you to look, do me a favor, look in your Bibles right now, look at um, verse four. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Who's talking here? He's, an angel's talking to him. You know what I wondered about this passage, and, and someone brought this up to me. Do you notice that the angel doesn't communicate the gospel? Did you notice that? The angel doesn't say, the prayers that you've been praying to have come to God the Father, but you need to know Jesus, who rose from the dead, who was prophesied in the Old Testament to be the Savior of the universe. You notice that's not what the angel says. Like, why doesn't the angel tell him the gospel? Think about that, right? Like, for a second, the angel appeared to him. Why doesn't the angel share the gospel with him? It's quite simple. The angel doesn't proclaim the gospel to him is because it's not the angel's job to proclaim the gospel. Angels can't proclaim a gospel they have not received. It wasn't them that Jesus died for. It wasn't them that needed salvation. It wasn't them that he died on the cross for. It was you and I. The gospel's for you and me. So the angel can't proclaim the gospel. They're not allowed to communicate the gospel. Why not? Because it's not theirs to communicate. It's ours. It's ours to communicate. The second thing that we see in this passage 
is that not only does God initiate salvation, he did it on the cross, and he initiates it by sending an angel and saying, go to Cornelius, tell him to go get Peter so that Peter can share the gospel. The second thing that we see in this passage is that God prepares our hearts and minds to understand the gospel, right? It's not a coincidence that Cornelius is seeking after God in Judaism. This is something I struggled with because because Cornelius is not a believer, but yet his prayers is able to go up to heaven. Like God is able to to hear his prayers. And and here's, here's my theological stance on that. God doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers unless they're seeking for him. In this passage, Cornelius is seeking after God. Now the difference between Cornelius and unbelievers is that that he was seeking, like he's not a Pharisee, right? Like the Pharisees were anti-Christian, they were anti-Jesus, they, they were evil men. But, but Cornelius was seeking after God, and, and what does that tell us? It tells us that God was preparing him for the gospel. Like God prepares us for the gospel, Think about every situation. If you're a Christian in this room, I'm going to assume that not everyone is, but if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you believe and you follow and you obey and you trust and you know that your home is in heaven, is not here on earth. Like, if you truly believe that, I want you to think for a moment every good endeavor that you've experienced. Think of every bad situation that's ever happened to your life and just know, right, that you look back on it And then you think about the day you were saved. It was almost like God was writing the story, right? I think about my life. Let me tell you something. I've had some bad experiences in life, like hard things. Not as hard as some of you, but I've had some hard things happen in my life where I look to God and say, like, surely you don't exist because you would never let that happen. Like, I've had dark times and seasons in my life where you just, like, you feel alone and empty and there's no hope and help. And you say to yourself, surely God does not exist. Surely he's not doing anything. Like, has that ever happened to you? Like, have you ever felt the weight of the world on your shoulders and just like, I I can't do this? And then... Then I think about the day I got saved. And I look back on my life, like I look at every single moment, every good time, every bad time, and I say to myself, man, you were there the whole time. You were getting me ready. You were were molding me so that I can understand the gospel because if you would have, and I've heard the gospel many times, but it took all the bad things that happened in my life, every good thing that happened in my life, to receive the gospel. And I think, and I want to encourage parents. I have a soft spot for parents. The reason why is because I deal with your high schoolers all the time. <laughs> I was hanging out with, um, okay, side note, it's fine. Um, th- on, on Friday, we, I ha- we have a thing with the guys in the high school ministry. Not all of them, some of them. All, I love them all. There's some that I started with that, like, we've, we've done a thing, like, at least twice a year. We go out to Quaker Steak and Canton, and I end up paying all the time. Some of them actually did pay. Some of them did pay. I got to say that in the next service. Some of them did pay. They gave me money. 
because um, they work. Praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> we go out and, 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 and when I spend time with them, like it's whatever they want to do. There's nothing we're not going to do, right? So we go to Quaker Steak. We, they're like, we want dessert. I'm like, oh my gosh, where are we going to? So we go to, we go to Cold Stones and we get ice cream. And they're like, let's go to Pet Supply Plus and just go inside. I'm like, okay. So like we go in and we're walking around and they're behaving, but they're, you know, they're doofuses. They're just like, oh, look at the fish. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, ah. Um, I almost bought a fish, by the way, because they're like, you should buy a fish. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Almost bought a fish, but I didn't because it was like 30 bucks for a fish. It's crazy. These prices these days, I'm telling you. So we're hanging out, and they're like, hey, they tell one of the kids, tell them, like, get on the, on the cart, and we're going to push in the, in, in the parking lot. I'm like, what is, like, now it's getting crazy. We're at home, now we're in Home Depot, and we're just walking around Home Depot. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Like, you guys going to buy lumber? You can't afford that. I can't afford it. But we're hanging out. I have a, and the reason why I tell you that story is because, like, I look at them, and I know, where, I know where most of them are in their faith. I know many of them are not believers. And that hurts because, like, I want them to experience salvation the way I did. So I try as much as I can to spend much, a lot of time with them. And I'm thinking to myself, not in that moment, but, you know, the next day, yesterday, and I'm thinking, man, like, God is knitting every experience in their life for them to hear and believe. Like, every good experience, and many of them have bad experiences. I can tell you stories about some of these kids. I mean, like, just things that many of us can't experience. And I think to myself, right, that that's... That's what God has done. That's how God initiated salvation. That's how God is preparing the hearts and minds for us to understand that he takes every good experience and every bad experience. Why? So that we can believe. You can believe. Cornelius, his life experience, whether it started in Italy or somewhere else in the Roman Empire, and ended up in Judea. Think about that, that God orchestrated a plan that he would start in Italy, and his life wouldn't begin until he landed in Judea. And I don't know how long he was stationed there, but I know that God orchestrated that plan so that an angel can visit him. And an angel can tell him, hey, I can't tell you the gospel but you need to go send for someone to come. Like, that's what happened to us. Think about it. Think about the person who shared the gospel with you. That was planned. It wasn't a coincidence. The person who declared and opened their mouth to tell you about Jesus was planned. Do you want to know when it was planned? before the day you were born. That's a beautiful testimony. Like, think about that. Even back to the idea that God initiates salvation, God planned for you and me to be saved before we were even a thought. 
He planned it all. He planned it for Cornelius. He planned it all. And for parents, back to my story, I have a soft spot for parents. Because many of them, like, you don't know what you're doing. There is no, trust me, I know you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) I can give you some tips. (laughs) You're not meant to know what you're doing. You're meant to trust and believe in the God who knows what he's doing. God is the one that initiates the salvation. So for the parents, I have a soft spot for parents who have wayward kids, who are far from Jesus. I have a soft spot. Because I was wayward. Trust that is God the one who does the salvation. He's the one that's initiated. It's his plan on how he's going to save your child. It's his plan how he's, that kid or that girl is going to come to salvation. It's his plan. It's not yours. It's out of your hands. But it's in the hands of a God who is good. It is in the hands of a God who we just sang about, who is faithful. Isn't God faithful? Has he not been faithful to you? He's been faithful to me. And if he's been faithful to you and me, he will be faithful to your children. Because he's the God that initiates salvation. The third thing I want us to, or a side note of that too, as God was preparing Cornelius' heart, I think as an encouragement um, to parents, and, and not only to parents, but to spouses who are struggling with wayward spouses and family members. Like, I think of John 10, 14, and 16, right? Like, I think of what it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And check this out. And they, I have sheep that are not of my fold, but I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. This is the story of Cornelius. Though Cornelius was not a believer, and he prayed to God, he wasn't part of the flock, but he was saved to be part of the flock by the proclamation of the gospel. Like parents... Spouses, trust God with them. Believe him that he'll do it. Like, the hardest thing that God could have ever done has already been accomplished on the cross. He's died and paid for it. So saving your children, saving your spouse, is an easy thing for him to do. Because God is faithful. God initiates salvation. God prepares them. Every bad and good endeavor God is going to use that. And the third thing I want us to see from this passage that we learn from is that God brings the gospel to unbelievers for salvation. Like, it is the work that he does through people. It is the work that he does through the church. It's the work that he does through me and you to proclaim the gospel to unbelieving people. It's not the work of angels that he, that he uses to proclaim the gospel. It's you and me. I think of the passage in Romans, right, that says faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. Paul says, it, like, 
How are they to hear if no one is to speak? How are they to speak if no one is sent? Like, that's, that's the truth of the gospel that we ought to proclaim the good news to everyone all the time. Remember, it's not our good works that save us. It's not our good works that's going to save our other friends. It's not their good works that's going to save them. It is the gospel, and they need to hear the gospel all the time. There's an inside joke with my parents. My dad is, uh, my dad is a true man of prayer. Like, if you ever meet him, sweet, well-spoken, quiet man. He has a thick Spanish accent and a thick New York accent. <laughs> I don't know how but that's the way it is. My, my dad, like, he is a prayer warrior. And when I mean like he prays, like he's retired and he spends most of his days praying, praying for our family, praying for friends and loved ones. You know, my dad, I have siblings and family members. The vast majority of them are not believers. It is a miracle that God saved my dad and my mom. It really is. Like the things that they've experienced in their past, I don't know how they made it. Um, but God saved them. But my dad, every time we're around family members, growing up, it was so annoying because I was just like, Dad, just be quiet, right? Like, he always shared the gospel. And my dad is like, old school gospel is like, the Lord is coming back. Are you ready to go with him? And I'm like, Dad, yes, I'm ready to go with him. I'm not ready. But he always, like, he always shared the gospel. He's like, you got to be ready. You don't know when is your last day. You don't know when you're going to breathe your last breath. Believe in Jesus. Follow him. Live, a, he always says this, live a holy life. And I'm like, dad, all right, I get it. And then my dad always asks, even till this, the, my dad still preaches the gospel to me. He's like, not too long. He was like, are you ready to go? And I'm like, yes, I'm ready to go. <laughs> like, that's my dad. And that's the truth, right? That's what we, we need to be doing. Telling everybody, hey, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. You know, my joke is like, beam me up, Scotty. Like, let's do this right now. But, but, but here's the truth. The truth is not many people are ready to go. And the truth is, many people in this room watching online, you ain't ready to go. You're still holding on to your good works. You're still holding on to your good deeds. You're still ho holding on to the idea that, oh, one day God will, will save me. Let me tell you something. Just as Cornelius was preached the gospel, the gospel has been preached to you today. Salvation is for you today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day that you can receive new life. Today is the day that God has already initiated salvation for you. Only thing you have to do is believe and put your trust in him. Follow him. Deny every inclination you have to pursue him. And don't let go. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. He's worth holding on to. Quickly, three things that I, I think is our proper response to this passage. You're a believer. Uh, what, is, what do we do with this passage? Three things. Obey God. Cornelius obeyed God. Think about that. Even an unbeliever obeyed God. How did he obey God? He sent for Peter to hear the gospel. Our response should be to God every time, everywhere. Obey him. Obey him. Let me tell you something. I lived, I'm young. I like to think I'm young. 
I'm at the borderline when I'm not. I'm waking up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. That, for me, I don't think I'm allowed to say that, but, but let me tell you something, people. Like, once that started happening, I was like, I'm ready to retire. Put me in a wheelchair. Roll me around because, like, I, that is obnoxious. Let me tell Lord, forgive me for, for being angry last night because I was so mad. I woke up. Anyway, we got to go. <laughs> Obey God. All the time. Like Cornelius did. The other thing. Partner with God in evangelism. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. They're not going to know if you don't tell them. Your kids won't be saved if they don't hear the gospel. If they don't see the gospel. If they don't see it between you and your husband. Live the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, right? Like, don't be ashamed of preaching the gospel at work. Now, don't be weird, because we're weird. Don't be weird at work, where you're standing up. Obey the gospel. No, 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 like, like live it. Speak it in love. Do it in love. Be intentional. And then, and then the last thing you need to do is leave the results to him. Plant the seed. Let him reap the harvest. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are faithful. You've always been faithful. We trust in your faithfulness. Even when we are faithless, we trust in your faithfulness, God. God, we say thank you. We say thank you today because you are the God who initiated salvation for us. We say thank you today because you're the God who always initiates salvation to unbelievers. God, we say thank you today in advance because we believe that you have the power to save and you can save our wayward children, spouses, friends, neighbors. You can do it because you did it for us. God, we thank you for every good and bad endeavor, every bad experience, every good experience, every good memory, every bad memory. We thank you for them because it was part of our story in which you would save us. God, would you save us from our good deeds and our good works? Would you, would you save our loved ones from, from believing that their good deeds and their good works and their good character and disposition is what saves them. God, would you do this? Do it in our lifetime. In the name of Jesus, the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.